entrance to a belief of the forgiveness of sins in John Owen's exposition of Psalm 130, objections against believing from things internal. The person doesn't know whether he is regenerate or not. State of regeneration asserted. Another head of objections and despondencies arises from things internal, things that are required in a soul that it may have an interest in the forgiveness that is with God, some of which we shall speak to. In these respects, first, the state of the soul, and secondly, some actings in the soul. As to the state, first, some say, unless a man be regenerate and born again, he is not. He cannot be made partaker of mercy and pardon. Now all things here are in the dark to us. For first, we don't know well what this regeneration is, and it is variously disputed amongst men. Some would place it only in the outward signs of our initiation into Christ, and some otherwise express it. Again, it is uncertain whether those that are regenerate do or may know that they are so, or whether this may be in any measure known to others with whom they may treat about it. And if it may not be known, we must be uncertain in this also. And then it may be for their parts they neither know the time, when, nor the manner, how any such work was wrought in them. And yet without this, sin is wrought by means and springs from certain causes they can have no establishment and a not failing persuasion of their acceptance with God by the pardon of their sins and the blood of Christ. This is ahead in some of most of the objections which perplexed souls manage against themselves as to their state and condition. Hence, indeed, they draw forth reasonings with great variety, according as they are suggested by their particular occasions and temptations. And many proofs taken from their sins, miscarriages, and fears enforce their objections withal. My purpose is to lay down some general rules and principles which may be applied to particular occasions and emergencies, and this shall be done in answer to the several parts of the general objection mentioned before. I say then, number one, it is most certain that there are two states and conditions that divide all mankind, and everyone that lives in the world completely and absolutely belongs to one of them. These are the state of nature and the state of grace, of sin, and of righteousness by Christ. Every man in the world belongs to one of these states or conditions. This the scripture so abounds in that it seems to be the first principal thing that we are taught in it. It is as clear that there are two different states in this world as that there are so and that to come. Yea, all our faith and obedience depends on this truth. And not only so, but the covenant of God, the mediation of Christ, and all the promises and threats of the law and gospel are built on this supposition. Men are not only like Nicodemus, ignorant of the things and wonder how they can be, but they scorn them, despise them, and scoff at them. To make mention of being regenerate is exposed to reproach in the world. But whether men will or not, to one of these conditions they must belong. As these two states differ morally in themselves and physically in the causes constitutive of that difference, so there is a specifical difference between the things that place men in one condition and in the other. Whatever there is of goodness, virtue, duty, grace in an unregenerate person, there is in him that is regenerate somewhat of another kind that is not in the other at all. For the difference of these states themselves that is plain in Scripture, to one is a state of death, 
the other of life, to one of darkness, the other of light, to one of enmity against God, the other of reconciliation with him, and that the one state is constituted by that of grace, which is of a peculiar kind and which is not in the other, I shall briefly declare, the grace of regeneration proceeds from a special spring and fountain, which empties much of its living waters into it, no one drop of which falls on them that are not regenerate. This is electing love. It is given out in the pursuit of the decree of election. God has chosen us that we should be holy, Ephesians 1 verse 4. Our holiness, whose only spring is our regeneration, is an effect of our election, that which God works in our souls in the pursuit of his eternal purpose of love and goodwill towards us. So again, the apostle says, 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 13, God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit. So again, the apostle says in 2 Thessalonians 2 13, God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit. God having designed us to salvation as the end, has also appointed the sanctification of the Spirit to be the means to bring us orderly to the attainment of that end. At the best of common grace or gifts, that may be in men unregenerate or but products of the providence of God, ordering all things in general to his own glory and the good of them that shall be heirs of salvation. They are not fruits of electing eternal love, nor design means for the infallible attaining of eternal salvation. Number two, the graces of those that are regenerate have a manifold respect or relation to the Lord Christ that the common graces of others do not have. I shall name one or two respects. First, they have a special moral relation to the mediatory acts of Christ and his oblation and intercession. Special grace is an essential part of the purchase of Christ by his death and blood shedding. He made a double purchase of his elect of their persons to be his, a special grace to be theirs. He gave himself for the church that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Ephesians 5 verses 25 to 27. The design of Christ in giving himself for his church was to procure for it that special grace in which, through the use of means, it might be regenerate, sanctified, and purified. So Titus 2 verse 14. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify to himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Real purification and grace and holiness has a special relation to the death of Christ that he designed in it to procure it for them for whom he died, and in the pursuit of his purchase, or acquisition of it, his purpose was really to bestow it upon them, or effectually to work it in them. Also it has a special relation to his intercession, and that in distinguishing manner from any other gifts or common graces that other men may receive. Given us a rule and pattern of his intercession, John 17, he tells us that he so prays not for the world, but for his elect, those which a father had given him because they were his. Verse 9, and what is it that he prays for them in distinction from all other men, whatever? Amongst others, this is one principal thing that he insists on. Verse 17, 
Sanctify them through your truth. Their sanctification and holiness is granted upon that prayer and intercession of Christ which is peculiar to them, with an exclusion of all others. I pray for them. I pray not for the world. Now the common grace of unregenerate persons in which they are distinguished from other men, whatever it be, it has not a special relation to the oblation and intercession of Christ. Common grace is not the procurement of special intercession. Secondly, they have a real relation to Christ as he is the living, quickening head of the church. For he is so, even the living spiritual fountain of the spiritual life of it, and of all vital acts, whatever. Christ is our life, and our life is hid with him in God, Colossians 3, verses 2 and 3. That eternal life which consists in the knowledge of the Father and the Son, John 17, verse 3 is in him as a cause, head, spring, and fountain of it. In him it is in its fullness, and from thence it is derived to all that believe, who receive from his fullness grace for grace. John 1 verse 16. All true, sanctifying grace, all spiritual life and everything that belongs to it, is derived directly from Christ as the living head of his church and fountain of all spiritual life to them. This the Apostle expresses in Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16. Speaking the truth in love, grow up into him in all things, which is ahead, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, makes increase of the body to the edifying of itself in love. To the same purpose he again expresses the same manner, Colossians 2 verse 19. All grace in the whole body comes from the head, Christ Jesus, and there is no growth or furtherance of it, but by its effectual working in every part to bring it to the measure designed to it. Nothing then, though not the least of this grace, can be obtained but by virtue of our union to Christ as our head, because it consists in a vital, effectual influence from him in his fullness, in his kind of relation to Christ, all grace that is or may be in unregenerate men is incapable of. Number three, the grace of regeneration and the fruits of it are administered in and by the covenant. This is a promise of the covenant that God will write its law in our hearts and put his fear in our inward parts that we shall not depart from him, Jeremiah 31. This is that grace in which we speak, whatever it be, or of what kind soever. It is bestowed on none but those who are taken into covenant with God. For to them alone it is promised, and by virtue of it it is wrought in and upon their souls. Now all unregenerate men are strangers from the covenant, and are not made partakers of that grace which is peculiarly and only promised thereby and exhibited therein. Number four. The least spark of saving, regenerating grace is wrought in a soul by the Holy Ghost. It's given a man to dwell in them and to abide with them. He is the water given by Jesus Christ to believers, which is in them a well of water springing up into everlasting life. John 4, verse 14. First, they receive the water, the spring itself, that is the Holy Spirit, and from thence living waters arise up in them. They are wrought, effected, produced by the Spirit, which is given to them. 
Now, although the common gifts and graces of men unregenerate are effects of the power of the Holy Ghost wrought in them and bestowed on them, as are all other works of God's providence, yet it is not work in them, as received by them, to dwell in them and abide with them, as a never-failing spring of spiritual life. For our Savior says expressly that the world or unbelievers do not know the Spirit, nor can receive Him, or have Him abiding in them, all which, in a contradistinction to all unregenerate persons, are affirmed of all them that believe. The least a saving grace, such as is peculiar to them that are regenerate, is Spirit. John 3 verse 6 That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Whatever it is that is so born, it is spirit. It has a spiritual being, and it is not adducible by any means out of the principles of nature. So it is said to be a new creature, Second Corinthians 5, verse 17, be it never so little or so great. However, it may differ in degrees in one and in another, yet the nature of it is the same in all. It is a new creature. As the least worm of the earth and the order of the old creation is no less a creature than the sun, or the most glorious angel in heaven, so in the order of the new creation the least spark or dram of true grace that is from the sanctifying spirit is a new creature, no less than the highest faith or love that ever was in the chiefest of the apostles. Now that which is spirit, and that which is not spirit, that which has a new spiritual being and that which has none, whatever appearance of agreement there may be among them, yet differs specifically from one another. And so it is with the saving grace that is in a regenerate and those common graces that are in others which are not so, so as that these are different states, so they are eminently different and distinct to one from the other. And this answers the second thing laid down in the objections taken from the uncertainty of these states and of regeneration itself, and the real difference of it from the contrary state, which is exclusive of an interest in forgiveness. Number three, this is laid down in the inquiry, whether the state may be known to him who is really partaker of it, or translated into it, or to others that they may be concerned in it, to which I say the difference that is between these states and the constitutive causes of them as it is real. So it is discernible. It may be known by themselves who are in those states and others. It may be known who are born of God and who are yet children of the devil, who are quickened by Christ and who are yet dead in trespasses and sins. But here also observe I do not say this is always known to the persons themselves concerned in this distribution. Many cry, peace, peace, when sudden destruction is at hand. These either think themselves regenerate when they are not, or else willfully despise a consideration of what is required in them that they may have peace, and so delude their own souls to their ruin. And many that are truly born of God yet do not know it. They may for a season walk in darkness and have no light. Nor, secondly, that this is always known to others. It is not known to unregenerate men in respect of them that are so, for they don't know really and substantially what it is to be so. Natural men don't perceive the things of God. That is, spiritually, in their own light and nature, 1 Corinthians 2, 
And if they cannot aright discern the things which put men into that condition, for they are foolishness to them, so they cannot judge aright of their persons in whom they are. And if they do at any time judge aright notionally concerning any things or persons, yet they do not judge it so upon right grounds, nor with any evidence entered to themselves of what they judge, therefore generally they judge amiss of such persons. And because they make profession of somewhat which they do not find in themselves, they judge them to be hypocrites, and false pretenders to what is not, for those things which evidence their union with Christ, and which evidence their being born of God, they don't savor them, so they cannot receive them, nor is this always known to or discerned by them that are regenerate. They may sometimes with Peter think Simon Magus to be a true believer, or with Eli and Hannah, to be a daughter of Belial, many hypocrites are set forth with gifts, common graces, light, and profession, so that they pass amongst all believers, for such as are born of God. And many poor saints may be so disguised under darkness, temptation, and sin as to be looked on as strangers from that family in which indeed they belong. The judgment of man may fail, but the judgment of God is according to righteousness. Therefore, thirdly, this is, that we say, it may be known in the sedulous use of means appointed for that end, to a man's self and others, which of the conditions mentioned he belongs to, that is, whether he is regenerate or not, so far as his or their concern lies in it. This, I say, may be known, and that infallibly and assuredly with reference to any duty in which from the hence we are concerned. The discharge of some duties in ourselves and towards others depends on this knowledge, and therefore we may attain it so far as it is necessary for the discharge of such duties to the glory of God. Now, because it is not directly in our way, it having been mentioned, I shall briefly in our passage touch upon the latter, or what duties depend upon our judging of others to be regenerate, in a way or principles in which such a judgment may be made. There are many duties incumbent on us to be performed with and towards professors, which, without admitting a judgment to be made of their state and condition, cannot be performed in faith. And in reference to these duties alone, it is that we are called to judge the state of others, for we are not given countenance to a rash and charitable censoring of men's spiritual conditions, nor to any judging of any men, any other than what our own duty towards them indispensably requires. So, if we are to lay down our lives for the brethren, it is very fit we should so far know them so to be, as that we may hazard our lives and faith when we are called to it. We are also to join with them in those ordinances in which we make a solemn profession that we are members of the same body with them, that we have the same head, the same spirit, faith, and love. We must love them because they are begotten of God, children of our Heavenly Father, and therefore must on some good ground believe them so to be. In a word, the due performance of all principal mutual gospel duties to the glory of God and our own edification depends on the supposition that we may have such a satisfying persuasion concerning the spiritual condition of others as that from thence we may take our aim in what we do. For the grounds of this, I shall mention one only, which all others lean upon. This is pressed on us in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. As a body is one, 
and has many members, and all members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. They are all united to, and hold of one head. For as are the members of the body natural under one head, so is Christ. Mystical, that is, all believers under Christ are head. And this union they have by the inhabitation of the same quickening spirit which is in Christ their head. And by him they are brought all into the same spiritual state and frame. They are made to drink in the one and the same spirit. For this spirit produces the same effects in them all, the same in kind, though differing in degrees, as the apostle fully declares in Ephesians 4, 3-6. And the spirit is in them and not in the world. John 16, and as this gives them a naturalness in their duties one towards another, or in mutual caring for, rejoicing, or sorrowing with one another, as members one of another, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 25 and 26, so it reveals and discovers them to each other so far as is necessary for the performance of this duties mentioned. In such a manner as becomes members of the same body, there is on this account a spiritually natural answering of one to another. Its face answers to face in the water. They can see and discern that in others in which they have experience of in themselves. They can taste and relish that in others which they feed upon in themselves and in which the lives of their souls consist, the same spirit of life being in them. They have the same spiritual taste and savor. And unless their palates are distempered by temptations or false opinions or prejudices, they can, in their communion, taste of that spirit in each other which they are all made to drink into. This gives them the same likeness and image in the inward man, the same heavenly light in their minds, the same affections, and be thus prepared and enabled to judge and discern of the state of each other in reference to their mutual duties, they have also the true role of the word to judge of all spirits and spiritual effects by. And this is a ground of all that love without dissimulation and real communion that is among the saints of God in this world. But here two cautions must be allowed first. That we not judge the state and condition of any men in the world. No further than we are called thereunto in a way of duty. And we are so called only with reference to the duties that we are to perform towards them. What if we to judge them that are without, that is, anyone that we have not a call to consider in reference to our own duty? And this great rule takes place. Judge not that you be not judged. Let us leave all men, the worst of men, unless where evident duty requires other actings to the judgment seat of God. They are the servants of another, and they stand or fall to their own master. They have been great miscarriages amongst us in this manner. Some have been ready to condemn all that do not go along with them in every principle, yea, opinion, or practice. And every day slight occasions and provocations are made the grounds and reasons of severe censures. But nothing is more contrary to the conduct of the meek and Holy Spirit of Christ. This is our rule. Are we called to act towards any of saints as living members of the body of Christ? and that at such duties as we cannot perform in faith unless we are persuaded that so they are, then are we on the grounds 
and by the ways before mentioned to satisfy ourselves and one another. Secondly, do we endeavor mutually to discern the condition of one another in reference to such ends? Let us be sure to look to and pursue those ends when we have attained our satisfaction. What these ends are has been showed. It is that we may love them without dissimulation, as members of the same mystical body with us, that we may naturally care of them and for them, that we may delight sincerely in them, that we may minister to their wants, temporal and spiritual, that we may watch over them with pity and compassion. These and the like are the only ends for which we are at any time called to the consideration of the spiritual condition of one another. If these be neglected, the other is useless. And here lies a great aggravation of that neglect, in that such a way is made for the avoidance of it. Here lies the life or death of all church society. All church society in relation is built on this supposition, that the members of it are all regenerate. Some lay this foundation in baptism only, professing that all that are baptized are regenerate. Others require a further satisfaction in the real work itself, but all build on the same foundation that all church members are to be regenerate. And to what end is this? Namely, that they may all mutually perform those duties one towards another which are incumbent mutually on regenerate persons. If these are omitted, there is an end of all profitable use of church society. Churches without this are but mere husks and shells of churches, carcasses without souls. For as there is no real union to Christ without faith, so there is no real union among the members of any church without love. And that acting itself in all the duties mentioned, let not this ordinance be in vain. But we must return from this digression to that which lies before us, which is concerning what a man may discern concerning his own being regenerate or born again. I say then, secondly, men may come to an assured, satisfactory persuasion that themselves are regenerate, and that such as is so far infallible as that it will not deceive them when it is brought to the trial. For there are many duties whose performance and faith to the glory of God and the edification of our own souls depends on this persuasion and conviction. As number one, a due sense of our relation to God, an inanswerable comportment of our spirits and heart towards Him. He that is born again is born of God. He is begotten of God by the immortal seed of the Word. Without a persuasion of this, how can a man on grounds of faith carry himself towards God as his Father? And how great a part of our obedience towards Him and communion with Him depends on this, we all know. If men fluctuate all their days in this manner, if they come to no settlement in it, no comfortable persuasion of it, they scarce ever act any genuine childlike acts of love or delight towards God, which exceedingly impeaches their whole obedience. Number two, thankfulness for grace received is one of the principal duties that is incumbent on believers in this world. Now, how can a man in faith bless God for that which he is utterly uncertain whether he has received it from him or not? I know some men run on in a rote in this manner. They will bless God in a formal way for regeneration, sanctification, justification, and the like. 
but if you ask them whether themselves are regenerate or not, they will be ready to scoff at it, or at least to profess that they know no such thing. What is this but to mock God, and in a presumptuous manner to take his name in vain? But if we will praise God as we ought for his grace, as we are guided and directed in the scripture, as the nature of the matter requires, with such a frame of heart as may influence our whole obedience, surely it cannot but be by our duty to know the grace that we have received. Again, the main of our spiritual watch and diligence consists in the cherishing, improving, and increasing of the grace that we have received, the strengthening of the new creature that is wrought in us. In this consists principally the life of faith and the exercise of that spiritual wisdom which faith furnishes a soul with. Now how can any man apply himself to this while he is altogether uncertain whether he has received any principle of living saving grace or not? Whereas therefore God requires our utmost diligence, watchfulness, and care in this manner. It is certain that he requires also of us and grants to us that which is the foundation of all these duties, which lies in an acquaintance with that state and condition in which we belong. In brief, there is nothing we have to do in reference to eternity, but one way or other it has respect to our light and convictions, as to our state and condition in this world, and those who are negligent in the trial and examination of it leave all things between God and their souls at absolute uncertainty and dubious, which is not to lead the life of faith. We shall now, upon these premises, return to that part of the objection which is under consideration. Say some, we don't know whether we are regenerate or not, and therefore altogether uncertain whether we have an interest in that forgiveness that is with God. Nor dare we on that account admit of the consolation that is tendered on the truth insisted on. Supposing what has been spoken in general, I shall lay down the grounds of resolving this perplexing doubt in the ensuing rules. Rule number one. See that the persuasion and insurance of this which you look after and desire be regular, and not such as is suited merely to your own imaginations. Our second and third general rules about the nature of all spiritual assurance, and what is consistent with it, are here to be taken into consideration. If you look to have such an evidence, light into an absolute conviction of this manner, it shall admit of no doubts, fears, questionings, just occasions and causes of new trials, teachings and self-examinations, you will be greatly deceived. Regeneration induces a new principle into the soul, but it does not utterly expel the old. Some would have security, not assurance. The principle of sin and unbelief will still abide in us and still work in us. Their abiding and their acting must needs put the soul upon a severe inquiry. Whether they are not prevalent in it beyond what the condition of regeneration will admit, the constant conflicts we must have with sin will not allow us to have always so clear an evidence of our condition as we would desire. Such a persuasion as is prevalent against strong objections to the contrary, keeping up the heart to a due performance of those duties and faith which belong to the state of regeneration, is a substance of what in this kind you are to look after. Rule number two. If you are doubtful concerning your state and condition, do not expect an extraordinary determination of it by an immediate testimony of the Spirit of God. I grant that God sometimes by this means brings in peace and satisfaction to the soul. 
He gives his own spirit immediately to bear witness with ours that we are the children of God, both upon the account of regeneration and adoption. He does so, but as far as we can observe, in a way of sovereignty, when and to whom he pleases. Besides, that men may content and satisfy themselves with his ordinary teachings, consolations, and communications of his grace, he has left to nature that peculiar testimony of the Spirit very dark and difficult to find out. Few agree in what it consists, or what is the nature of it. No one man's experience is a rule to others and an undue apprehension of it is a manner of great danger. Yet it is certain that humble souls in extraordinary cases may have recourse to it with benefit and relief by it. This, then, you may desire, you may pray for, but not with such a frame of spirit as to refuse that other satisfaction which in the ways of truth and peace you may find. This is the putting of the hand into the sight of Christ. But blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Rule number three, if you have at any time formally received any special or immediate pledge or testimony of God given to your souls as to their sincerity and consequently their regeneration, labor to recover it and to revive a sense of it upon your spirits now in your darkness and trouble. I am persuaded there are but few believers but that God does at one time or other in one duty or other entering into or coming out of one temptation or another, give some singular testimony to their own souls and consciences concerning their sincerity and his acceptance of them. Sometimes he does this in a duty in which he has enabled the soul to make so near an approach to him as that it has been warmed, enlivened, sweetened, satisfied with the presence, the gracious presence of God, in which God is made to him as a token of his uprightness, Sometimes when a man is entering into any great temptation, trial, difficult, or dangerous duty, that death itself is feared in it. God comes in by one means or other, by a secret intimation of his love which he gives him to take along with him for his furniture and provision in his way, and by this testifies to him his sincerity. And this serves like the food of Elijah for forty days in a wilderness condition, Sometimes he is pleased to shine immediately into the soul in the midst of its darkness and sorrow, in which it is surprised, as not looking for any such expression of kindness, and is by it relieved against its own pressing self-condemnation. And sometimes the Lord is pleased to give these tokens of love to the soul as its refreshment, when it is coming off from the storm of temptations in which it has been tossed. In many other times and seasons there are in which God is pleased to give to believers some special testimony in their consciences to their own integrity. But now these are all wrought by a transient operation of the Spirit, exciting and enabling the heart to a spiritual, sensible apprehension and receiving a God's expressing kindness towards it. These things abide not in their sense and in their power which they have upon our affections, but immediately pass away. They are therefore to be treasured up in the mind and judgment, to be improved and made use of by faith, as occasion shall require. But we are apt to lose them. Most know no other use of them, but while they feel them, yea, through ignorance and our duty to improve them, they prove like a sudden light brought into a dark place and again removed, which seems to increase and really aggravates our sense of the darkness. 
The true use of them is to lay them up and ponder them in our hearts, that they may be supports and testimonies to us in a time of need. Have you then, who are now in the dark as to your state or condition, whether you are regenerate or not, ever received any such refreshing and cheering testimony from God given to your integrity and your acceptance with Him upon it? Call it over again and make use of it against those discouragements which arise from your present darkness in this manner and which keep you off from sharing in the consolation tendered to you in the word of this grace. Rule number four. A due spiritual consideration of the causes and effects of regeneration is the ordinary way and means in which the souls of believers come to be satisfied concerning that work of God in them and upon them. The principle or causes of this work are the Spirit and the Word. He that is born again is born of the Spirit, John 3, verse 6, and of the Word. Of his own will he begot us with the Word of Truth, James 1, 18. We are born again by the Word of God, which lives and abides forever, 1 Peter 1, verse 23. Wherever then a man is regenerate, there has been an effectual work of the Spirit and of the Word upon the soul. This is to be inquired into and after. Ordinarily, it will discover itself. Such impressions will be made in it upon the soul. Such a change will be wrought and produced in it. It will not escape a spiritual, diligent search and inquiry. And this is much of the duty of such as are in the dark and uncertain concerning the accomplishment of this work in themselves. Let them call to mind what have been the actings of the Spirit by the Word upon their souls, what light by it has been communicated to their minds, what discoveries of the Lord Christ and way of salvation has been made to them, what sense and detestation of sin have been wrought in them, what satisfaction has been given to the soul to choose, accept and acquiesce in the righteousness of Christ. What resignation of the heart to God according to the tenor of the covenant of grace it has been wrought to. Call to mind what transactions there have been between God and your souls about these things, how far they have been carried on, whether you have broken off the treaty with God and refused his terms, or if not, where the stay is between you. And what is the reason, since God has graciously begun to deal thus with you, that you are not yet come to a thorough close with him in the work and design of his grace. The defect must of necessity lie on your part. God does nothing in vain. Had he not been willing to receive you, he would not have dealt with you so far as he has done. There is nothing, then, remains to your firm condition but a resolved act of your own wills in answering the mind and will of God. And by this search may the soul come to satisfaction in this manner or at least find out and discover where the stick is whence their uncertainty arises and what is lacking to complete their desire. Again, this work may be discovered by its effects. There is something that is produced by it in the soul which may also be considered either with respect to its being and existence or to its actings and operations. In the first place, it is the Spirit, John 3, verse 6, that which is born of the Spirit which is produced by the effectual operation of the Spirit of God. It is Spirit, a new creature, Second Corinthians 5, verse 17. He that is in Christ Jesus, who is born again, is a new creature, a new life, 
a spiritual life, Colossians 2 verse 20, Ephesians 2 verse 1. In brief, it is an habitual furnishment of all the faculties of the soul with new spiritual vital principles, enabling a person in all instances of obedience to lead a spiritual life to God. This principle is by this work produced in the soul, and in respect of its actings, it consists in all the gracious operations of the mind, will, heart, or affections, in the duties of obedience which God has required of us. This is that which gives life to our duties, without which the best of our works are but dead works, and renders them acceptable to the living God. It is not my business at large to pursue and declare these things. I only mention them that persons who are kept back from a participation of the consolation tendered from the forgiveness that is with God, because they cannot comfortably conclude that they are born again, as knowing that it is such persons alone to whom these consolations truly and really belonged, may know how to make a right judgment of themselves. Let such persons then not fluctuate up and down in generals and uncertainties, with heartless complaints, which is a ruin of the peace of their souls, but let them really put things to the trial by the examination of the causes and effects of the work they inquire after. It is but the use of such means in which God will be pleased to give them all the assurance and establishment concerning their state and condition, which is needful for them, and which may give them encouragement in their course of obedience. But suppose in all that has been spoken, what if a man, by the utmost search and inquiry that he is able to make, cannot attain any satisfactory persuasion that indeed this great work of God's grace has passed upon his soul? Is this a sufficient ground to keep him off from accepting of support and consolation from this truth, that there is forgiveness with God, which is the design of the objection laid down before? I say further that regeneration does not in order of time precede the soul's interest in the forgiveness that is with God, or is being made partaker of the pardon of sin. I say no more but that it does not precede it in the order of time, not determining which has precedency in order of nature. And I confess, which the method of the gospel leads to is that absolution, equipment, or the pardon of sin is the foundation of the communication of all saving grace to the soul, and so precedes all grace in the sinner, whatever. But because this absolution or pardon of sin is to be received by faith, in which the soul is really made partaker of it, and all the benefits belonging to it, and that faith is a radical grace which we receive in our regeneration, for it is by faith that our hearts are purified, as an instrument in the hand of the great purifier, the Spirit of God. I place these two together and shall not dispute as to their priority in nature, but in time the one does not precede the other. Number two, it is hence evident that an assurance of being regenerate is no way previously necessary to the believing of an interest in forgiveness, so that although a man may not have the former, it is or may be his duty to endeavor the latter. When convinced persons cry out, What shall we do to be saved? The answer was, Believe and you shall be so. Believe in Christ. And in the remission of sin by his blood is the first thing that convinced sinners are called to. They are not directed first to secure their souls that they are born again, and then afterward to believe, but they are first to believe that the remission of sin is tendered to them in the blood of Christ. 
and that by him they may be justified from all things from which they could not be justified by the law. Nor upon this proposition is it the duty of men to question whether they have faith or not, but actually to believe. And faith in its operation will evidence itself. Acts 13, verses 38 and 39. Suppose then that you do not know that you are regenerate, that you are born of God, that you have no prevailing, refreshing, constant evidence or persuasion of it. Should this hinder you? Should this discourage you from believing forgiveness, from closing with the promises and by them, obtaining in yourselves an interest in that forgiveness that is with God? Not at all. No, this ought exceedingly to excite and stir you up to your duty in this. For suppose that it is otherwise, that indeed you are yet in a state of sin and are only brought under the power of light and conviction. This is a way for a translation to a state of spiritual life and grace. It, if you will forbear the act in the faith upon and for forgiveness until you are regenerate, you may and you probably will come short of both forgiveness and regeneration also. Here lay your foundation and then your building will go on. This will open the door to you and give you an entrance into the kingdom of God. Christ is a door. Do not think to climb up over the wall. Enter by him, or you will be kept out. Suppose you are born again, but you do not know it. This is the condition of many. This is a way in which you may receive an evidence of it. It is good. The embracing of all signs, tokens, and pledges of our spiritual condition. And it is so to improve them. But the best course is to follow the genuine natural actings of faith, which will lead us into the most settled apprehensions concerning our relation to God and acceptance with Him. Believe first of forgiveness of sin as the effect of mere grace and mercy in Christ. Let the faith of it be nourished and strengthened in your souls. This will insensibly influence your hearts to a comforting gospel persuasion of your state and condition towards God, which will be accompanied with assured rest and peace. To wind up this discourse, Remember that that which has been spoken with reference to the state of regeneration in general may be applied to every particular objection or cause of fear and discouragement that may be reduced to that head. Such are all objections that arise from particular sins, from aggravations of sins by their greatness or circumstances or relapses into them. The way that the consideration of these things prevails upon the mind to fear is by begetting an apprehension in men that they are not regenerate. For if they were, they suppose they could not be so overtaken and entangled. The rules of this laid down are suited to the straits of the soul of sinners in all such particular cases. Lastly, there was somewhat in particular added in the close of the objection, which although it be not directly in our way nor of any great importance in itself, Yet having been mentioned, it is not unmeet to remove it out of the way, that it may not leave entanglement upon the minds of any. Now this is that some know not nor can give an account of the time of their conversion to God, and therefore cannot be satisfied that the saving work of His grace is passed upon them. This is usually and ordinarily spoken to, and I shall therefore briefly give an account concerning it. Number 1. 
has been shown that in this manner there are many things in which we may regularly found a judgment concerning ourselves, and it is great folly to waive them all and put the issue of the matter upon one circumstance. If a man have a trial at law in which he has many evidences speaking for him, only one circumstance is dubious and in question, he will not cast the weight of his cause on that disputed circumstance but will plead those evidences that are more clear and testify more fully in his behalf. I will not deny but that this manner of the time of conversion is oft times an important circumstance. In the affirmative, when it is known, it is of great use, tending to stability and consolation, but yet it is still but a circumstance, such as that the being of the thing itself depends not upon he that is alive may know that he was born, though he doesn't know the place, nor the time when he was so. And so may he that is spiritually alive and has ground of evidence that he is so, that he was born again, though he know not neither when nor where nor how. In his case as usual in persons of quiet natural tempers, who have had the advantage of education under means of light and grace. Cut off times and such persons begins and carries on the work of his grace insensibly, that so they come to good growth and maturity before they know that they are alive yet. Such persons come at length to be satisfied in saying with the blind man and the gospel, How our eyes were opened we know not. Only one thing we know, whereas we were blind by nature, now we see. Even in this manner also we must, it may be, be content to live by faith and to believe as well what God has done in us, if it be the manner and subject of his promises, as what he has done for us, the ground of which also is a promise and nothing else.